Welcome back to another episode of Wellbound. We are your hosts, Brooke Snyder and Peyton Janicek. And today's episode is going to be all about us just diving into the supplement industry, safe practices, and some supplements that we recommend, um, but also some that we are cautious to recommend or maybe some to avoid. Yes. But before we get started, I feel like we haven't really done like a check-in lately. So do we kind of want to do a check-in and see what's been up with each other? Yeah. Yeah, we can do that. Cool. You start. Okay. So I'll kind of just talk about what's been going on the last week because I feel like every week is just so crazy lately. Um, This past week, I, well, I guess two weeks ago, I failed my one hour glucose tolerance test, which is a test that you have to take when you're pregnant around, I think it's between 24 and 28 weeks or something like that. And you take it to make sure that your blood sugars do what you want them to when you're eating sugar or carbohydrates. And so they have you come in, you have to drink 50 grams of dextrose because dextrose is the most absorbable form of sugar. Yep. And at an hour, so exactly an hour after, you get labs drawn. So you get your blood work done. And they determine whether or not you pass based on that value. And I failed, which is fine. I mean, it's pretty common to fail your one-hour glucose tolerance test. I had to get below like 140, and my value was 178. So it was a little bit elevated. They didn't make me fast for that so I could eat and drink as normal, and I didn't have it done until... 1 30 in the afternoon which yeah. is not ideal because your blood sugars are typically more stable in the morning and I also was recovering from a really bad like cold or mm-hmm. flu whatever everybody else has around here nowadays yeah and so that can also impact blood sugars so I think that had something to do with it but then this week I had to do my three-hour test to just confirm whether or not I truly have gestational diabetes which to give some background, gestational diabetes are different than your typical type one or type two in that it really, I think it just has a lot to do with like the placenta and how the hormones are produced and your body's kind of not competing with the placenta to handle blood sugars, but to an extent, I mean, it just is all based on all of that. Your body's just doing a million different things. And so it's not really based on how healthy you eat or what you're doing or whatever you it just is what it is. So either you have it because you have it or you don't because you don't, you know? Yeah. So I had to go in and this time you have to be fasted. So I had to be fasted for at least eight hours. And I got into the clinic at seven in the morning and they took a fasted blood sugar. So they did my blood work right away. And then they had me drink not 50 grams of dextrose, but 100 grams of dextrose. They just want to up the ante. (laughs) And this is basically just a little, I don't even know how many ounces it was, probably like six ounces or eight ounces of pure sugar liquid. And the first time- Like sugar water, Yes, like sugar water. And the first time they gave me the fruit punch flavor, which honestly, it wasn't that bad. A lot of people complain about it, but I thought it wasn't bad at all. And then this time they gave me orange, but because there was just so much more sugar in it, it was like really hard to get down. So I'm sitting there chugging it because you have to get it down within, I think it's three to five minutes or something like that. Oh my God. So I drank that 
And even the lab tech was like, hey, just so you know, drinking this much sugar on like an empty stomach after fasting, you can get pretty dizzy, you can get nauseous, yada, yada, gave me the drill. And sure enough, I was so nauseous after like 40 minutes, I think, my cheeks were tingling and I was just kind of like burpy. And I also, the sugar, the pure sugar in that triggered my acid reflux that I've already been struggling with. Oh my gosh. But once I hit about 60 minutes, I think I had peaked and had come over that hump. So you have to do that initial fasted blood draw or or, yeah, fasted blood draw. Then you have to do every hour on the hour after you drink the drink. And that's for three hours. So I had four labs drawn that day. So went through that all by hour two, I pretty much felt fine. Um, But by the end of the day, I had like the worst headache ever. It was like migraine headache. Yeah. And it's just from, I mean, they wouldn't really let you drink anything during the test. He was like, you can have some sips of water, but that's it. Couldn't eat anything until like 1030. And I honestly got a little dizzy on my way home. I think my blood sugars were just tanking, but I passed and... I was great. I was kind of annoyed because I came back and my blood sugar levels were like perfect. Yeah. Honestly, borderline low average instead of being high. Yeah. Um, My three hour, I was at like, so again, they want you to hit 140 at your one hour. I was like 121 at my one hour with 100 grams versus the first test when I had only 50 grams, I was at 178. Yeah. So. I probably Must have just you know, been like the sickness or yeah, like something. I think there's a lot still of factors. Yeah, I think there's just a lot of things. I going hope on. I don't have to do that when the time yeah. comes. You just like <laughs> it's fine. The whole thing was fine. Honestly, it's not. They make it out to be more than it is, but it it did suck. But I passed, so that's great. Um, if I didn't pass, it would have also been fine. It's not a big deal. You just would have had to track blood sugars and things like that for yeah. the rest of the pregnancy. So just glad I don't have to add another thing to my to-do list. So yeah, for sure. had that. And then of course, you know, two days later I had some little cramping situation. It's, it wasn't aggressive. It wasn't crazy, but I just reached out to the nurses because I was like, Hey, do I need to be concerned about this? I'm not concerned about this, but should I be? And they had me come in and do all these swabs because they didn't want me to be in preterm labor and be contracting or leaking fluid and all that came back normal too. So we made it out unscathed this week, but it was a little bit crazy. And then besides the pregnancy stuff, just been planning some work for upcoming months with Peachy Plate. So trying to get things figured out with um, one of the partners that I work with and also just preparing for taxes, which is so fun. I know. I'm trying to like, I need, I just want to get it done. We set up a yeah. meeting with a, a guy in town to do them for us. And I'm like, well, I have, it's me and Kanan. Now we're married. So we need to determine right. whether or not it's smart for us to file jointly. And then I have Peachy Plate that I need to file for. So there's just a lot of things going on and we have a house. So, right, yeah. I know. I just try to punt a lot of that to Matt. But yeah, I mean, um, that's his not, real house. It's not his job to also like, you know, have all of my stuff organized and ready to go and truthfully I don't I don't do a good enough job with it so it's always like a mad dash at this time of the year when I should just 
prioritize it throughout the year so that I make it easier on myself. But yeah, preparing for taxes and I guess I'll give a little update on me. Yeah. I have um, been training for the marathon um, and I'm really excited that the weather here in Nebraska is finally above 60 degrees and it has just felt so great outside. Um, I'm supposed to run 10 miles either today or tomorrow. It'd be a good day for it. I know. I am just like, I just always get nervous on the long runs because <clears throat> mostly just because they're a little bit boring. Yeah. They so are. I've asked a couple of friends who are training for the half if they want to like meet me at mm-hmm. different spouts just so that I have a friend to run with. But otherwise, I mean, things are good. Matt is kind of getting over that sickness that you were talking about. Yeah. He's been sick this week and is wrapping up busy season for his work. So honestly, I'm just trying to stay healthy so I don't catch what he has because I was sick a couple months ago. So, um, but just this time of year, we get really busy and run down. So mm-hmm. I actually slept on the couch a couple nights this week because I like really, really, really do not want to get sick. I don't have time. Yeah, I don't have time for it. I'm like, I'm so sorry, but I am. I'm sleeping down here. He's like, no, it's fine. I mean, he's been like fevering a little bit and um, he's starting to feel better and kind of turn the corner. But I am like, I cannot get sick. So yeah. I, I slept on the couch and. Um, I'm sure sacrificed a little bit of my quality of sleep, but I do love the couch. So yeah, yeah. I, I had that same cold or whatever it is. And because I'm pregnant, I can't take any medications for it. So I just yeah. kind of had to struggle through it, but it lasted for like probably 12 days. Cause it just lingers for a long time. I was in the heat of it for maybe like six days. Yeah. I think he's getting frustrated because it was like day four and he was like oh this is never going away I've been he tried to say he's been sick for two weeks I said you've been sick for like three or four days I don't know men when they're sick you know I know the drama that's funny otherwise no everything's good over here just I mean staying busy lots on the plate but nice um all good things all righty cool good so we'll get into again we're talking about dietary supplements things we love about them things we don't love about them and just a little bit more information on them. Yeah, I've been getting so many questions lately from friends, family, clients, just it it comes in waves kind of throughout the year, I feel like, but I was like, well, why not just make this a topic of discussion and kind of go over some um, just background and I don't wanna say like basic information, but just some information that I feel like would be good for everyone to know about the supplement industry as a whole, as well as different supplements that we recommend or don't recommend. Okay. So first let's talk about what a dietary supplement is. So I just pulled the Merriam-Webster definition, but it's a product taken orally or by mouth that contains one or more ingredients such as vitamins or amino acids that are intended to supplement one's diet and are not considered food. So obviously Um, This can encompass a lot of different things. There's multiple, multiple, multiple supplements out there, including things like protein powders, your regular multivitamins, specific vitamins and minerals. So if you're just taking like a vitamin D on its own, Mm -hmm. for example. Or magnesium or iron. Yep. Pre-workout, creatine, energy drinks. Widespan of what is considered a supplement. So um, even things like rehydration powders or like electrolyte mixes Mm -hmm. that you could add to things. So there is quite a few, I mean, like even like greens powders, 
there's tons of things that are considered supplements, but, um, yeah, essentially what Peyton said is it's something that is supposed to supplement one's diet and isn't considered food. So it shouldn't be replacing any meals or snacks, Mm -hmm. just add it as a supplement to meet your, to help meet your needs. Right. And so in a kind of easy way to think about this, even when you think about meal replacement shakes, these are considered supplements. They are still, even though they're called meal replacement shakes, they should not be used to fully replace any part of your diet. They should still be utilized as a supplement. Yeah. Obviously, you're getting more calories and things like that, and there's pieces to that, but ultimately, it's still a supplement product. Um, And so that's, again, we want to make sure that anything that we're using as a supplement is supplementing the diet and not replacing the diet. Yeah. Um, so hundred percent. Um, well I get asked all the time how essentially the question of like, how do I know I need to supplement with this mm-hmm. or, or should I be supplementing with this? And so I want to kind of go over the parameters that I go through with clients for them to understand how they know if they need to supplement with a particular vitamin, nutrient, et cetera. So here's what I typically suggest to clients after reviewing a very detailed three-day food log and uh, their blood work. Sometimes we do blood work right off the bat or if it's if they did it with their PCP fairly recently, we'll definitely take a look at it. Sometimes I go have them get their blood work done um, or sometimes we just look at the three-day food log if they're like, oh, I'm not really due for lab work yet, but I always recommend getting that blood work done annually or twice a year Mm -hmm. um, because it does help determine whether or not we have any nutrient deficiencies or insufficiencies. So first things first, does their blood work identify just what I said, any nutritional insufficiencies or deficiencies? And if so, let's start there to correct those. Right. For example, uh, maybe you get your labs done and they come back and you are deficient in vitamin D. Um, And so then we would recommend a vitamin D supplement to help you become sufficient in vitamin D, right? So that's where I would start is with the blood work. We want to identify anything there that we need to correct fairly immediately. And then second, are you meeting the RDA or recommended dietary allowance, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, Of the particular nutrient through a foods first approach. So are you meeting this through your diet alone? If not, can we try to enhance your intake through food? Um, Maybe we try this for a period of time and you're still not achieving an adequate intake of that particular nutrient. So at that point, I may suggest the introduction of a supplement. Um, For example, maybe we see that iron is a little bit low Mm -hmm. and we, I recommend, okay, here are some sources that are rich food sources that are rich in iron and let's start to add those to the diet and see if we can right right we can help your iron intake over the next couple of weeks and if we have found that you know we're now meeting that art that rda then we feel comfortable where we don't need to supplement or um maybe we're still unable to really meet that and so it's something that we want to accomplish via a multivitamin or an iron supplement, mm-hmm. something like that. And sometimes it just depends on the nutrient that you're looking at because some things 1, are a, a lot easier to supplement with food than others. So like vitamin D, for example, it's kind of hard to get it in our diet. It's possible, but we're 
more than likely a lot of us are going to have a deficiency in that just being yeah there's only a few food sources of vitamin d um available in the diet um eggs mushrooms Mm -hmm. like cod liver oil yeah um and you would have to eat a ton of eggs or a ton of mushrooms and then there's also you know fortified milk so Mm -hmm. that like vitamin d milk or whole milk you see at the store is fortified with vitamin d and some juices too right like sometimes orange juice you'll see is fortified with vitamin d um, as well as some breakfast cereals but you would still have to eat quite a bit of that Mm -hmm. to meet the rda and so it can be really difficult to do that for things like vitamin d whereas other nutrients um something like iron it's a little bit more available right um in in the diet we can find it in a few more foods Mm -hmm. yeah and like with vitamin d for example you're like well why can't i just stand outside some of us live in the cold midwest (laughs) we don't have a super great source of sunlight all the time and so it also depends on the time of year because in the summertime if we're able to get out and get i think you only need to have skin exposure to the sun for like 10 to 15 minutes to get a good amount of vitamin d oh wow again we don't absorb it perfect um so it's not like it's just directly going to vitamin d so like great in our body but we will get a good amount but then you know if it's not nice out and we're not able to make it outside then we don't get that so yeah sometimes with certain athletes um ones that live up here in nebraska and play an indoor sport in the Mm -hmm. winter specifically so they're a winter sport athlete and their sport is indoors obviously um just based on the time of year and kind of the their intensity and their training etc etc sometimes we'll just recommend a vitamin d supplement just for the winter months depending Mm -hmm. on where you live and what your life sport activity etc looks like right so yeah definitely depends but there are other things like electrolytes that i like to take a look at again their overall intake potentially if they're an athlete their sweat rate and sweat composition you can do this through a few different ways. You could order a sweat testing kit. Um, you could just ask a couple like screening questions, but anyways, we'll take a look at those things. Um, fluid intake and any symptoms of dehydration or even overhydration. And I know in my practice, I typically provide a recommendation with some form of electrolyte replenishment for a majority of my athletes and clients. But, um, I think Peyton will get into this a little bit later that it may not be necessary for, um, kind of the general population Mm -hmm. or those that aren't involved in like intense sport or exercise. Right. Um, Also, I get asked about creatine a lot, like a lot. Mm -hmm. So um, for things like creatine, I review the facts about creatine. So what we know in terms of research and the evidence-based knowledge there, whether it's not, it's age appropriate. So for any younger athletes or parents asking for like in regards to their younger athletes. And I just... I always like to discuss the safe dosages. Most of the conversation here is kind of about myth busting. People will ask if creatine is dehydrating or makes them hold on to water weight and just a bunch of different things. Um, But I just like to provide education about the product and then kind of guide the client to whether or not it's something that they would like to try. Mm -hmm. And for something like creatine, we still can get creatine through food sources, um, but most often we supplement for something like this. So um, if it is safe for the individual to consume, maybe we try it 
for a Mm -hmm. period of time if they're interested and maybe it's something that they really enjoy or maybe they realize like, eh, I don't really like this and that's okay. We can, we can try and go a different route. Yeah. Cause I know you have to be super, super consistent with creatine to see the impact of it. Yeah. Um, specifically for this, you know, talking about whether or not it's age appropriate, what age do you typically cut off at? Um, well I have had, you know, I've had people come to me, they have kids in like junior high. Yeah. It's like 12 or 13. Yeah, you're like, no. And their strength coach or like personal trainer or somebody has recommended that they start taking creatine. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I don't have the research sitting in front of me right now, but I I just, that's too young yeah, in my right. opinion. Um, if they are, you know, getting close to the age of 18 and they're going on to play like college sports or are wanting to, understand about the supplement a little bit more um we talk about the safety and effectiveness and um if they're like 18 we can start them on a lower right uh like a lower dose if they just want to see yeah um but yeah definitely for like the the younger athletes like junior high or even younger into high school i think we can there are other supplements out there that i would like to maybe see us try first before something like creatine um just based on the growth and development of their kidneys and all their organs and things like that. I want to make sure that they're all the way through puberty Mm -hmm. before we kind of start something like that. And that's kind of the, what I've stuck to in my practice. Yeah. So that's kind of the gist on like, how do you know if you need a supplement? So like Brooke said, really looking at blood work and that that's because we're not going to know if you come to us, there's obviously some physical signs that we can see with people sometimes like brittle nails or hairs falling out, but we're still, that's not going to lead us to say, Oh, you have this deficiency. We would say, we need to go get blood work confirmed. Yeah, confirmed with blood work. And I just want to caution that when you're getting blood work, make sure that you're going to medical doctors for that because we don't want to be going to non-medical doctors for blood work or advice on lab value specifically because it can get a little bit dicey there. Yeah. I I'll just get into it. Um certain <laughs> certain chiropractors I feel like sometimes will practice like functional medicine or functional like nutrition in in their practice and I this this only bothers me because I've had a couple people just from a specific chiropractic office come see me mm-hmm. and they've had either labs done or tests run different like gut health tests or, or lab work done. And they've all come to me saying that this provider has told them that they have like a bacteria overgrowth in their gut and they need to be on all of these like herbal supplements mm-hmm. sold by this provider right. or practitioner. So really here, I think it just depends on whether or not that provider is trying to sell you something or push a product your way and just really try and use your senses there and understand that if that is their MO of, hey, we're going to run all these tests and then here's all the products you're going to take to Mm -hmm. quote unquote, like cure yourself or this deficiency or this gut problem, et cetera. Um, you know, that may be cause for some red flags or right. just like some caution, like just proceed with caution there. 
because that is something that really does frustrate me when when we see that no there's no bacteria mm-hmm. like overgrowth and it's just interesting to me that I have had three clients now who have come to me from this same provider same provider because yep. it, what what they're taking is still not working mm-hmm. <sighs> anyways I digress yeah and so I think the point about that is it's not any specific provider we're not you know we're not saying don't trust your chiropractor right we're just no, saying I'm not bashing on chiropractors right. at all like I have friends who like in our community and beyond who I absolutely love and I think they're just the mm-hmm. the best at what they do genuinely like like I mean the body lab like Rachel yeah. Houston in town is just if you live in Lincoln she's just incredible and she's a good friend and like I think that the work she does is absolutely incredible and I also appreciate that when people ask her a new nutri- specific nutrition questions, she will recommend them to see a dietitian, mm-hmm. either you, I know she's recommended clients to you myself. Yeah. Yep. And so there are tons of great chiropractors out there. It's just a, an example I've seen um, yes. where people have either certain certifications or um, aren't necessarily qualified to be providing, I don't know. Medical nutrition therapy. Yes. Pretty much. Yes. Yeah. And so I think just being sure, you know, go to your doctor, um, the clinic that you go to. So your primary care provider, a physician, anybody that you're going to see to get diagnosed with like your colds or anything like that, that does your typical blood work, they are going to be the best resource for giving you that blood work. And then I would recommend if you're really having some issues with not having enough of certain nutrient um, vitamin, mineral, anything like that, that you ask them, you know, what can I do to move forward? And hopefully they'll give you some nutrition knowledge that you can utilize. If you're not getting that and you'd like to take the nutrition route, reach out to a dietitian, ask them, Hey, what are some food sources of, you know, vitamin D or what are some food sources of B12 that I can take to try to just increase this naturally? Or if you want to take a supplement, because you're deficient, that is totally fine too. Yeah, 100%. Um, Okay, let's dive into kind of some supplement safety. So we just kind of went over, definitely speak with a medical professional Mm -hmm. or medical doctor, but do you want to kind of start off with some just safety tips when it comes to supplements? Yeah, so the biggest thing with supplement safety that I would say is please don't start just taking a plethora of vitamins and minerals or supplements. There are upper limits on these. And if you exceed them, it could negatively impact your health and even result in death, especially with fat soluble vitamins. So A, D, E, and K, vitamins A, vitamin D, vitamin E, and vitamin K are fat soluble vitamins. And the reason that this is an issue is if you know, we're taking too many. So if we're having an an obscene amount, right, of vitamin D, we don't just excrete them through our urine like we do some of the water-soluble vitamins. Instead, we hold on to them and put them into our, you know, fatty tissues and our liver. And so if we're not able to excrete them, they can cause some severe damage to the body. Have I told the story on the podcast of the health coach in texas who had a client of hers like die because of this i think we had mentioned it before but 
Say it again. Because um, I think it's interesting. I believe this was in 2022, but it was a, like I said, a health coach with no medical nutrition therapy like certification she wasn't a dietitian not a medical provider just like a self-proclaimed health coach i'm pretty sure and she had advised her client at the time because he was deficient in vitamin d or she had told him that everyone's deficient and he needs to be taking vitamin d mm-hmm. and ended up getting him or he somehow, you know, started taking 50,000 IUs of vitamin D mm-hmm. daily. Which is an insane amount. That's an insane amount. Normally when that is prescribed, if you are prescribed 50,000 IUs of vitamin D, you are taking that one time per week. Mm-hmm. Like that's what the doctor will recommend. And that that's if you're, if you're deficient. But this health coach recommended that her client take this daily and he ended up dying Yeah, from, from a vitamin D overdose. I think it was the first kind of like the first case of mm-hmm. this and it was a really big deal at the time. And I just remember feeling so heartbroken and sad over that because there are so many people who don't understand or know who to go to for nutrition mm-hmm. advice. And uh, it just breaks my heart and makes me so mad when people try to practice when they should not be practicing or providing medical nutrition therapy. So um, I don't say that to scare any of you, just to make you aware of, um, to find a trustworthy provider who has the schooling and knowledge and experience and credentials to be able to provide trustworthy and evidence-based information. Right, because, I mean, 50,000 IUs typically... I, what is the general recommendation? Like it's four, six, four six, to six hundred IUs. Six hundred IUs yeah. per day is yeah. the re- RDA, the recommended daily allowance. Yeah, and so it's a lot, yeah. and obviously yeah. that is a lot for your liver to handle, your body to handle, and so you don't handle it. Yeah, and that's how scary the the supplement industry can be. So just make sure that you're not mixing all these different supplements especially and I think I've mentioned this before but if you're already taking a multivitamin chances are you are already getting the recommended dose or you know 50% of the daily recommendation for a lot of these different vitamins and minerals that you want so if you're starting to take a multivitamin and then you're topping it off with more vitamin D for example yeah more vitamin D more more B vitamins mm-hmm. more more minerals more this more that it's like whoa hey let's just sometimes it doesn't we don't have to take a laundry list of supplements every day let's just simplify it and try and enhance our diet through foods first the best we can and Mm -hmm. go from there but just really quickly because i know you mentioned like you know fat soluble vitamins Mm -hmm. a d and k can you kind of refresh us refresh us on how water soluble and fat soluble vitamins are stored and how that works yeah so i had mentioned a little bit about fat-soluble vitamins. So again, those are vitamin A, D, E, and K. These, when we consume them in excess, are stored in the fatty tissue and the liver, which can be dangerous if there's a large excess of them because as we mentioned, your body doesn't just get rid of them. Whereas with water-soluble vitamins, so these are vitamins like vitamin C or B vitamins, different vitamins like that, These are carried to the tissues, so for your body to utilize them, but they're not actually stored in the body for like extra use later. 
So whatever your body is not using is excreted typically through like your urine. So you'll just pee it out essentially. Yep. Um, however, you can still have too much in your body at a time. So you still don't want to be taking all this ins- insane amount because your body still, again, can get overloaded with that. And so that's another reason why I also tell a lot of people, you don't just want to be taking all these supplements because you're probably going to end up paying out half of it anyways. And then you're just wasting your money Yeah, too. We call it expensive pee or expensive yeah. urine in, in our industry. Yes. But um, I know I've said this before, but the FDA doesn't regulate the supplement industry. So the FDA is the government agency or governing body who regulates our food, the mm-hmm. food that we see in the grocery stores on the shelves to make sure that it's safe for us to consume. But they don't do that with the supplement industry, whether mm-hmm. there's, I don't know, not enough capacity or money. I, I have no idea, but yeah. they don't do it. So this means that the supplement industry, you would hope that every company would have great manufacturing practices and would not be shady. Yes. <laughs> and not and not tell the truth about what's in right. their product. But sadly, this isn't the case. So some products on the shelves, some supplement products may not actually contain what's on their label. For example, maybe there's a protein powder that says it has 30 grams of protein per serving and zero carbs. When in reality, researchers have pulled that product off the shelves, tested it in their lab, and it has only 15 grams of protein and 30 grams of carbohydrates. Mm -hmm. So it's like, okay, well, that is being misrepresented. Right. Or what about an energy drink? This has actually happened and companies have been sued for this. Um, An energy drink that says, oh, we have 150 milligrams of caffeine Mm -hmm. in our product. It gets pulled off the shelf. There's 300 milligrams of caffeine in that product. And then what happens when people are drinking multiple of those a day, you know, it becomes, it can become dangerous. So that is why, um, third party testing is so important. So the FDA, like I mentioned, doesn't regulate the supplement industry, but there are third party companies that will do this to, essentially ensure that what is marketed on the label is what's in the product. And there's no trace elements of any like performance enhancing drugs or just anything that's misrepresenting what's Mm -hmm. on the label. So some third party tested companies are, or like logos that you should look for on your supplements. This is what I tell all my athletes and, and clients just because I think it's important. Look for an NSF certified for sport logo or like an informed choice or informed sport logo. Um, I may throw this up in a graphic on our Instagram just to kind of show you guys what to look for here. Mm-hmm. So I always I always just recommend that you try and find a supplement that's third party tested because it just gives me the practitioner peace of mind. And I think it should give you the consumer peace of mind that, hey, um, the product that you've chosen is represented accurately. What's on the back of the label with the supplement facts is what's actually in the product. And we can we can go to sleep easy at night knowing that. Um, I know in, in the sports world, people's like NCAA eligibility has been taken away um, based on different vitamins they've been taking. So I believe there was a swimmer years back who was taking, um, I think it was an, I don't know if it was a vitamin D or an iron 
something, mm-hmm. something. Um, but it wasn't third party tested and she was competing in the Olympic trials and, um, they drug tested her and she was like adamant, like, no, I'm not taking any performance enhancers. Mm-hmm. Like, this is what I take daily. And like, she had like a lab run all of her supplements and they found that the, the vitamin or mineral she was taking through her university actually wasn't third party tested. And that's the reason why she had failed this drug test. So it's just always important because you wouldn't want any eligibility taken away from your sport for any college athletes out there um, or any athletes in general who are competing at a really high level. I just think it's important for everybody. Yeah. I, I mean, I typically am not working with athletes or um, anybody that's going to be getting drug tested for those substances. Right. But I still recommend the same thing. And I think it says a lot about a company because it's not cheap to get these. Oh my gosh. It's so expensive. It's very expensive for them to do these third I've heard party it's testings. Like, I've heard it's like a thun- uh, English. I've heard it's a hundred thousand dollars per year per product. So think about to pay for that certification. Mm-hmm. So yeah, to, I mean, for a company to have all of their supplements everything in their you know dispensary third-party tested that's a hundred thousand dollars per year per product and i'm sure it's gone up since since i've heard this this was a while ago that i heard this and so i think obviously there's going to be products out there that don't have third-party testing that are very true to their word and are only putting these things in there but you just don't know so for the time being until they're able to get those certifications and things like that, I would still try to opt for those that have the third party testing, just so you know that they've done their due diligence and you know that what you're asking for and what you're putting your money into is exactly what you think it is. Yeah. Agreed. So with that, do we want to kind of talk about some supplements that we specifically recommend? Yeah. Yeah, I think obviously everything is situational and um, like nutrition is so individualized, but these are some that we get questions about a lot. Yes. So um, I don't think we're going to give any specific brand names out. No, I'm probably not going to. Yeah. So we'll just kind of walk through maybe what to look for Mm -hmm. with certain supplements. Like like we'll start off with protein powder. Yeah. 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 So again, the ones that we recommend, we're not saying that we recommend them for every single one of you and they're going to be great for every single one of you. It's just things that we've seen and we trust in certain individuals taking them. Mm-hmm. So the first one that I typically utilize, and I know Brooke utilizes this as well, is protein powder. And protein powders, again, use it as a supplement. That's kind of the big key here is Try not to just have it alone on its own. Make sure we're adding some things to it if we're utilizing it, such as like in a smoothie, if you're adding fruit and yogurt and chia seeds or whatever you want to do, peanut butter. It's just adding a little bit more to that because otherwise you wouldn't really have a ton of protein in there. Yeah, it's just helping you meet your needs. Maybe you have like a daily goal you're going for or you know that you struggle getting enough protein in, but Mm -hmm. you make a smoothie every day. And so why not add a protein powder? And so um, I think what you should look for, depending on what type of protein powder you choose, is either and I know Peyton agrees with this too, but either a whey protein isolate, Mm -hmm. this would be the animal based option or a soy or pea protein for a plant-based option. Um, I always recommend 
with my clients to look at that first ingredient on the back of the label Mm -hmm. and make sure it says either whey protein isolate or some sort of like soy or pea protein isolate. Right. Isolate, you just know it's like um, like the purest form and is going to give you the greatest like bioavailability. And right. So, right. And so when we say like it's the most bioavailable, th- what that means is that we're just able to absorb the most product from that. So if you're looking at, for example, whey protein concentrates, we know that we just don't quite absorb quite as much protein as we would if it was an isolate. So I always tell people, you're just getting more bang for your buck. So if you're going to spend money on a protein supplement and you want to get the most protein out of it, because it can say 20 grams of protein, we don't know how much we're going to absorb from that, right? And so we want to try to get as much as we can out of there. And so, yeah, we'll try to opt for those whey protein isolates so that we just know we're getting the most out of it. And then with that, just making sure, again, like Brooke had just talked about, Third-party testing is going to be a great use on these products. Um, And when we use it correctly, obviously, it can give us a great benefit. Like Brooke said, especially if you're trying to hit a protein goal, protein is one of those things that we think is really easy to hit, but protein can be kind of difficult. So this is why I think protein powders can be utilized appropriately. Yeah, um, in ab- that. absolutely. And definitely situationally, right? So like, right, even I mean, even in pregnancy, protein needs are pretty high. Mm-hmm. And, um, or, you know, maybe you're recovering from an injury, or you're trying to put on lean mass or whatever it is, right? People have goals for different reasons. But um, yeah, a protein powder can be utilized as a as a supplement for some of those situations. Yeah. And so other things you can put protein powders in, for example, if you're supplementing is things like oats, pairing with some sort of fruit for a snack, things like that, where you normally probably wouldn't get a lot of protein with those items. So again, it's utilized as a supplement. Yeah. I like to make overnight oats and uh, protein powder sometimes. Yeah. And then you can make it like whatever flavor you want Mm -hmm. based on the protein powder. Yeah. Another thing that I would recommend in general is just a multivitamin or a prenatal, depending on what stage of life you're in. Um, It's not going to make up for a poor diet fully, but it will help fill some gaps potentially that you're maybe missing out on. And it's a prenatal, for example, is very crucial for pregnancy for things like folic acid, vitamin D, choline, calcium, where needs are um, higher than typical. And they also can be really helpful for those like on a vegan diet where things like B12 or vitamin D are also uh, potentially low or calcium you know, things like that might be lacking. And so that's where I think multivitamins, again, typically they're not going to harm you unless you're going crazy on all the other things. They can just be a useful supplement to your overall diet. Yeah. Kind of like a safety net. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Cool. Yep. Another one is, and I think I've talked about this before, how Kanan and I are typically, what we take every day is a multi- a multivitamin or a prenatal in a fish oil. And a fish oil is the next one I'll talk about because it's pretty common to not consume enough omega-3s in our diet, which are those fish oils, especially if we aren't consuming like fatty fish super regularly or frequently, especially if you're landlocked and you don't have access to those things all the time. There are quite a few different omega-3 fatty acids out there, but we really only focus on like three of them Um, which is EPA, and bear with me, I'm going to try to pronounce these for you. EPA, which is eco-sapentanoic acid, DHA, which is docosahentic 
sahexaenoic acid and ALA or alpha linoleic acid. Beautiful. Yeah, I don't know. I probably butchered those. But So EPA, DHA, and ALA yes. from here on out. <laughs> yes, EPA, DHA, ALA. That, those are the ones that you'll hear. And EPA and DHA are long-chain omega-3 polyunsaturated fatty acids. Very long word. Just know that those are abundant in some of our fish, shellfish, in some algae and genetically engineered plants. The body needs EPA and DHA omega-3s to develop and function optimally in every stage of life. So I know we mentioned the ALA, and I'll kind of explain what that means, but the EPA and DHA is really what we're looking for a lot of the time. And again, that's found in things like fatty fish and other seafood, like sardines, tuna, salmon, whereas ALA is more of that short chain omega-3 fatty acid. And it's mainly found in things like plants. So flaxseed, chia seeds, walnuts. Um, and in order for the, us to use ALA, so again, the plant form that we get, as more than just an energy source, it needs to be converted into EPA and DHA, which just isn't a very efficient process in humans. So if we're trying to get fish oils or omega-3s from our diet, and we're strictly consuming plant sources, a lot of times we're not going to get very much out of that because again, that ALA just, it's not a very efficient process in our body to convert that ALA into that EPA and DHA that we need. And so fish oil supplements that you're typically seeing on the shelves are going to be some combination of the already formed EPA and DHA. In addition to sometimes there's like other omega-3s on there and that's what it'll say it's like other omega-3s 100 you know milligrams or yeah. micrograms or whatever yep and so the main point with fish oils is that it's very hard to get enough um i know when i went to fancy so fancy's the food nutrition conference and expo it's a big dietitian conference i sat in on a presentation where the speaker showed us a bunch of research on omega-3s and what he was basically saying is that we have genes that impact our ability to utilize omega, uh, omegas, so omega-3s, omega-6s. So there are some of us where even if we were to eat like two times the recommended amount of fatty fish every week, we still wouldn't have an adequate intake. And he said he believed that every person should be taking a fish oil supplement. So and so, yeah, it was just really interesting. He was talking about, you know, we wouldn't know unless we had genetic testing done on every single human, how they are able to utilize or translate this omega-3. So some people, and it's, he made it seem like it's location specific. Mm -hmm. So maybe the U.S. versus different areas in the world. And some people, if they have a little bit of omega-3s or a little bit of fatty fish, maybe one time a week, they could have sufficient amounts, whereas other people could have it every single day and still never hit a sufficient amount. Yeah, wow. Yeah, so it's just kind of confusing. <laughs> but basically, fish oils are really important. Um, and again, typically a safe supplement, still ask questions and make sure that you're getting those things approved whether that's with your doctor or you're talking with a registered dietitian, but fish oils, 
again. Yeah. Or typically good. I know the, um, the recommendation. So for some of the athletes I work with, I have a few who, so fish oil supplements, let me back up, are also used in the sports world for concussion prevention and protocol. They're really great for brain health, heart health as well, and reducing inflammation. And again, that EPA and DHA really matter here. Mm -hmm. But there are different dosage recommendations depending on what is is the athlete concussion prone or has a history of concussions. Um, that recommendation is going to be a little bit different than maybe just our average individual, no concussion history. Mm -hmm. And so again, just talk to your provider and make sure that, that you understand what dosage and recommendation is right for you. But yes. kind of cool too, that it can help um, prevent and heal injuries like concussions. Yeah. That is pretty interesting. Nice. Then another one is things like electrolyte powders or rehydration solutions of the sort. And these are not always necessary in day-to-day -day life. So like Brooke said, well, you know, Peyton's probably going to mention something about how it's not always uh, necessary because I'm typically, again, not working with people who are training day in and day out for a specific sport. However, I will say that if you are being extra active or unusually active in your case, or you're in a hotter environment than you're used to, things that would make you sweat, lose electrolytes, any of those things, it may be helpful to supplement with an electrolyte powder. Yeah. Um, and, you know, most of my clients supplement with something like this in their routines. But mm -hmm. again, that's because the population I work with is primarily training for three or more hours a day pretty intensely. Right. Um, and there are various factors like what Peyton just mentioned, like your environment, whether it's extremely hot or extremely cold, mm -hmm. um, the type of clothing you're wearing. Um, so, for example, people like football athletes or hockey athletes who are in lots of like padding, um, that looks a little bit different than somebody running like a track meet. Mm -hmm. But environments look very different, right? So there's a lot of different factors. But a little pro tip for those out there wondering if you're considered a like a salty sweater or a heavy sweater and need more electrolytes than the average individual. If you are even just like doing some yard work outside or go for a run or walk and you notice that you get a like white ring on your baseball cap or like sports bra when you, again, exercise, do any sort of movement, gardening outside, etc., you may lose your electrolytes. So things like sodium, chloride, and some of our other minerals like magnesium, potassium, calcium in higher concentrations than the average individual, meaning that if this is something that you notice, you may need to replenish with some electrolytes after some of those activities. So yeah. just kind of a little a little tip for those out there to maybe understand without doing a full sweat testing analysis if if you may need a little bit extra. Yeah, I, I've always been a big sweaty girl <laughs> and I was always the one who was like drenched after warmups in mm -hmm. volleyball and everybody else looked so dry. Yeah. And I really realized it when I was running like my half marathon and I had actual salt, like I could scrape it off my skin. It was yeah. crazy. It's so interesting to me because th your sweat rate. So I was somebody like you who, when I played volleyball in college, I would lose up to seven pounds mm -hmm. in a practice from fluid alone, right? So right. that was a large volume of fluid that I was losing, which inherently meant that I was going to lose quite a bit of electrolytes because I was losing a large volume. Mm -hmm. But there are also some 
people out there who don't lose a large volume, they don't sweat that much, but their concentration, they're like essentially their sodium concentration or their salt concentration in their sweat is so high. And in both of those scenarios, mm-hmm. you need additional electrolytes. So the whole hydration thing is like, I'm so passionate about it, but yeah. So basically, even if you're not soaked, you could still potentially need a replacement. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yep. If it's warranted. Yeah. Well, what are some supplements that you wouldn't recommend for those out there? Yeah. So I don't have a super long list. I mean, in general, I just tell people to check in on these things. And so I don't like to give a a long laundry list of things like don't do this and don't do this and don't do that. But something that I would definitely, and maybe this is partially personal because I'm so affected by stimulants, but I would definitely not recommend caffeine supplements unless it's absolutely warranted, which I don't even know if there's any specific situations that you would, that it would be warranted to take a caffeine supplement. Um, But I'm talking like five hour energy drinks, other energy drinks, things like that, that we can get energy from some of those natural sources, which we did do an episode. I don't remember which episode number it is, but yeah, we did an episode about kind of caffeine and energy drinks. And, um, we we mentioned that I agree with Peyton. I don't think the energy drinks or the five hour energy caffeine supplements are recommended in the slightest we know that we can use caffeine for to enhance like athletic performance in certain scenarios but let's try and choose natural sources like like coffee or espresso green tea Mm -hmm. things like that to try and boost energy it was our natural ways to boost energy yes and i just looked it up it's episode 10 so if you want to go listen to that it's natural ways to boost energy episode 10 we just touched on this a little bit it's just we just don't want to be doing too much and that's when it can get a little bit again, scary supplement industry. Yeah. Also the metabolism and fat burning supplements. Typically these are uh, primarily caffeine supplements too. Mm -hmm. And I just, just stay away from them. Yeah. Just stay away from them. We can find some lifestyle things that we can add to help you with, you know, fat loss, weight loss. We can do things to Mm -hmm. help you achieve those. Um, There's no supplement out there that will help you get there. Right. I think that if, if you're thinking about taking a supplement or especially if you're going to those like big market m- muscle stores, whatever that have all the supplements and you're looking at the fat burners or all these random supplements, just make sure that you are asking appropriate questions about them before you decide you're just going to start using them. Cause again, we don't want to just start using all these different things if we don't know exactly what's happening in our bodies because that's when we can have potential adverse reactions adverse reactions or interactions with medications or things like that that we just don't want to deal with. Right, right. Yeah, I think those are kind of the primary ones that we don't necessarily recommend. Yeah. But there's a few that I would just look further into. Mm-hmm. Right now, we live in the age of marketing, right? Yes. Products are marketed really well to consumers and they're marketed by influencers or celebrities that we love um Mm -hmm. companies that we you know trust or ads that look really cool or even like brand trips right yeah um come on this brand trip and then you know all of those people who are on the brand trip push the product etc um i'm not saying that all of these are bad but just look further into things like 
your de-bloat pills or Mm -hmm. um, some of your greens powders, or I have kind of a funny story. And I think this is something that's becoming kind of a hot topic right now, like colostrum. Mm -hmm. People are like wanting to supplement with colostrum. Yeah. And I had a good friend reach out to me with the text. I'm going to read our text chain. Thoughts on colostrum with three question marks. I said, nutritious but you aren't a newborn lol and she was like ha 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 true I've just seen it all over TikTok and I just told her that that made me laugh and she was like can you please do a podcast on TikTok trends and like health myths and Mm so um I just think that this one is kind of a hot topic right now we don't necessarily know a ton on the research but like in terms of adults supplementing with it but it's like it's just a fad that's going around right now. Like, Oh, everyone should be supplementing with colostrum Mm -hmm. or taking colostrum. And it's like, well, there's a reason why, you know, babies, newborns, that liquid gold. Yeah. need (laughs) colostrum. But I was like, to my friend, I was just like, you aren't a newborn. So we can, we can achieve, you know, your dietary needs through other things. So, right. Just a funny little story, but yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, that's kind of the gist on, just the the broad view of the supplement industry and just some things that we wanted you guys to know about supplements and how to make sure that we're assessing ourselves properly so that we're not putting ourselves in harm's way. Yeah. And I, I just really hope through this, like I never want to be someone that's like fear mongering and I hope we didn't scare any of you or like, um, I, I never want to I don't know, present information that way. Mm -hmm. Um, I just, it's just something that we should be cautious and aware of and educated on. And if you guys ever have any questions about supplements, you can reach out to us um, at our Instagram page at wellbound podcast. We'd be happy to answer some questions in the comments or um, via DMS, but we more so just wanted to give you guys some background on the industry as a whole and make sure that you feel educated and empowered when choosing a supplement. Cause there are tons of great ones out there on the, right. mar- on the market that can help you achieve your health and wellness goals or performance goals. Um, but just wanted to provide some insight on maybe some things to just watch out for. Right. So yeah, I hope you guys learned a little something we will, um, post again, we'll post that graphic with some of the third party tested logos for you guys to just be on the lookout for. Mm -hmm. But otherwise, I mean, we'll catch you next time. Yeah. All right. Bye. Bye.